You're listening to CX Confessions, brought to you by Koros. In each episode, we'll share the customer experience stories and insights you need, straight from the sharpest minds in CX, to better connect with your customers and create customers for life. Let's start the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CX Confessions. I'm Catherine Calvert, CMO of Koros, your host, along with my trusty co-host, Mr. Spike Jones. Still here. How are you doing today? Still here. I'm good. How are you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Very excited about our show today. We have one of my favorite people, an industry iconoclast, I like to call her, Latney Kanant. Yes. Whoa. Wait, 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 wait. Say your name again. Say your name again. Latney Conan. Conan. Darn it. I think it. we could fight crime. We could fight crime. I know. Latney and Spike. I could be your sidekick. Latney and Spike. Ooh, Catherine feels a little flat. But anyway, it's not just a cool name. She is the chief marketing officer for Sixth Sense. We are a customer, as Spike knows. They are a the leading, I would call them, account engagement platform. So they help us with ABM and intent data. She is also the author of a book that sits on my desk called No Forms, No Spam, No Cold Calls, The Next Generation of Account-Based Sales and Marketing. She has a track record almost as long as mine. Uh, we've been around this game for a long time. She has amazing stories to share and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Anything that has confessions in the title, like, let's go. This is great. <laughs> well, I, I mean, and you and I have had many conversations on this topic and all of its many aspects, right? How do you think about CX? How do you think about that can be this giant umbrella when really what we've talked about, you and I, and I've, I've admired what you've built at Sixth Sense, we try to do this with our customers at Koros, is create community, Right. And I should say, I would, I'll start out with the reason I met Latney is because they invited me to a senior marketers event hosted by, by Sixth Sense. And I never go to these things. As a CMO, I put them on all the time. And so I feel like I go to enough work events, but something about it was really spoke to me. It spoke to me, not as a prospect, but as a person. And I have never missed it since. That was your brainchild. Talk to me about what makes a Latney event so special. I do take my events very seriously. My mother-in-law is convinced I'm just an overpaid party planner, which maybe that's true. I don't know. I don't know. I really, for whatever reason, almost feel how other people are feeling. It's very weird. I'm going to get very meta. But like when I walk into a room, I can almost like see the energy clouds. Yes, you're an empath. And so I just... I think my deep down true superpower is to try to raise everyone's energy clouds. And that's so that's literally what I think about when I'm planning an event is like, how are they going to, and then the other obsession of my, so I think I just naturally do that and feel that. And, and I, I want to like uplift other people, but I also have been, and we've talked about this. I've been really, one of my COVID guilty pressures is design. And so I've started to study design. And one of the things about great design is it's not just visual. It's, you know, you want it to be visually beautiful and stand out and differentiated, but it, it needs to be really functional. You want to make sure that next to the chair is a place to put the drink and enough light to read. And right. So there's all this like 
functional that goes into it. And, and then there's the scale, right? Are you, are you having a 30,000 person event or a 20 person program, right? So thinking about the scale and what that means, there's the texture, you know, there's like invoking all different senses, sense of smell, sense of taste. So, you know, I really just try to have things come together in like a, in a beautiful way. And it's, it's really fun to like, I was advising a client earlier and they're like, how do we make our webinar, you know, more judgy or whatever? And I'm like, well, delight and awe, delight and awe. <laughs> like, what are you going to do? And it's unexpected and it's going to create a little bit of delight and a little bit of awe that you pulled it off. And so I would, I would say that's the other thing with, I talk a lot about with events and with the team is I'm like, you know how a lot of leaders say, don't sweat the small stuff. Never sweat the small stuff. We sweat the small stuff. Because the details, when a program comes together, the fact that every bit is branded and consistent, all those little things like come together to make it a real thing versus just another program. Yeah, an experience. I mean, I think that's sort of the metaphor, right, for a truly connected customer experience. How do you, how do you make sure you're thinking through each of those moments? But you talk about them like you're throwing a party for your friends and having been to a couple of them, that's sort of what it feels like. But you're a B2B tech marketer doing these very special and bespoke events. How do you think about them as part of your strategy to help your business succeed? Well, I think people have a fundamental need to connect, right? Think about when we were cavemen, you, rather than be by yourself, you got in a cave with a couple other people because it was safer and warmer and <laughs> worked better. So I think, you know, as humans, we have a fundamental need to connect. And so part of the experience is the connecting. And what I found just in, in my life is like, if, if you make me go to a show floor and talk to every Tom, Dick and Harry and stand at the booth. I mean, I, it's, it is so bad. It's so, so, so bad. And I know there are people that get a lot of energy out of that. God bless them. But I don't think it's the vast majority of people. I think that most people, and we talked about this because I think you were wanting to think about more community and the more alike the community is, the more value they get out of connecting. So take a personal example me. I am a working mom. That does not mean I don't appreciate moms that don't work. I think they're great. We don't have a lot in common, typically. We just don't. It's a, total, it's a very different world. And so if I'm going to go to a mom's group, the first thing I'm going to look for is, do they work outside the home? You know, the other thing I'm going to look for is what age kids if they have babies, I love the baby, baby phase, but I don't need to relive that. <laughs> <laughs> what it does. I mean, I don't need to relive sleep training, you know? So I think that like the best thing you can do as if you want to be a community organizer and create community is to actually try to make it as like alike as possible and help them find people that they really, really identify with that would be hard for them to find somewhere else. And that's probably why the one that the one you were talking about, the empowered CMO one, 
which actually was originally Amanda's idea, one of our co-founders, because she has always believed in empowering women. But I think one of the things that makes it so unique is it is all women. There aren't a lot of, and it's not just all women, it's all B2B, because there's a lot of CMO events that are B2B and B2C. It's also typically CMOs who have some tenure being CMOs versus new CMOs. So then it it just, again, it starts to get these layers are actually what make the content and the connections more and more relevant. Well, I love that you talk about connection points, because for me, those those bring the little details alive, those connection points. And those are the things I notice the most, whether it's I'm traveling or at a conference or at an event or a gathering. It is those details, but those details that connect us, which I think is really cool. Now, you're a CMO, but you are a CMO that does not believe in cold calls. You do not believe in spam. You do not believe in forms. You wrote a whole book about it. But what I love about the book is not, a, not only do you go, all right, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you how we do these things, but also I'm going to take you through this journey from your prospect's perspective, which I think is fantastic. I'm gonna, let's go walk a mile in the shoes of these folks when you put them through what you call the dark funnel, the dark funnel. I'm going to use that forever now, so thanks for that. Can you talk a little bit about that journey from the view of the prospect? Yeah, so I, you know, think about yourself when you go to buy, right? And it's just like when we were talking about events and and communities and stuff. It's not like all of a sudden when I'm at work, I'm like, I'm going to be a totally different person. And, you know, if I am going to make a big purchase, I'm going to do some research. I'm going to talk to people. I'm going to, you know, I can't go buy a car without asking my husband. You'd freaking kill me. (laughs) You know, I mean, I can sneak some things by. I'm a lamp here or there, but (laughs) not a car. (laughs) But especially even more so, I think at work, you know, if I'm going to make a purchase, there's a lot of personal risk and business risk to a lot of big purchase decisions. Right. And, you know, Catherine, you and I didn't get where we we were. We are, you know, not be, we have to be really buttoned up (laughs) to be a CMO and not get fired after like a month. So, you know, you're going to be buttoned up. You're going to do your research. And the first thing that we tend to do is we put up a form so that you can't do the research. And, you know, think about the experiences we just talked about. I think that's just a really poor experience. Like, and I want you to, you know, I'm the leader. I Why wouldn't I want you to learn from me and learn from my customers and learn our point of view on it and why we've been able to make people successful? Like I'm creating equity and investing in you from the very beginning when I just put that out there. And then, you know, I was on Instagram last night and someone said, there's two types of people. There's the zero inbox and the 15,000 inbox. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh, that hurts. That hurts. And I'm at 57,267 unread. (laughs) Holy smack. I got zero unread and I'm at 44. I'm 3,400. I feel so good about myself. Thank you. I know. You're winning. You're totally winning. But the reality is, you know, B2B marketers send 3 billion emails a day and there's only 7.7 billion people on the entire planet. So... Like, that's just a lot. (laughs) And it's kind of annoying. And, you know, are you necessarily hurting people viscerally with it? I don't know. But but I just think that 
people are going to tune you out. And then when you do have something really important to say, you're dead. And so I just, I, I feel like we've like over rotated on the form so that we could get the email so we could just make, 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 make. And that isn't a good experience. And then the cold call, you know, I, if someone calls from my area code, I think I've screwed something up with school. This, and yesterday it happened. I didn't buy Kate's be a yearbook. So I had to like in between calls, like run over with $23. So my kid wasn't like the only person without a yearbook. <laughs> Cause I'm a mother of the year. But anyway, so like, you know, as soon as that 847 comes up, I'm like, oh my God, it's like anxiety, right? So, but these people are trying to spoof my area code and then they're trying to sell me something. And it's just, it's like, I don't need more anxiety in my life. So I just think that stuff doesn't really work very well. And I think if you play a longer game and if you have the right insights, I get it. You can't do nothing, right? We all have to go out and create revenue right? You can't just do nothing. But the reality is, and I'm working on this slide deck where I have a picture of the dark funnel, because the reality is we all buy this way. We all try to stay hidden, don't want to give our email away, and don't listen to the phone until we're like, okay, now I'm going to, now I want to buy you. I want to meet with that rep, or I'm going to buy you and somebody else. And these are the features I think are important. I don't care what features you think are important, blah, blah, blah. So, but all this stuff is happening in the dark funnel. I'm doing my research. I'm talking to Catherine. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And because we don't see it at all, Spike, you have to work so hard. I have to work so hard. We hire more AEs. We do more calls. And we just throw it all at the dark funnel. Sorry, I'm going to interrupt you. When you talk about the dark funnel, help our listeners. What does that mean? Like we B2B marketers think about the funnel. I get your, I get your inquiry and I'm working you all the way down through SAL to SQL to opportunity, blah, blah, blah. What is the dark funnel? Yeah. So you have data in your CRM, right? And I don't, you know, maybe, and then you also probably have data in a marketing automation solution. Okay. So yes, when you do have someone's email, you maybe create some sort of funnel out of that and call it. And so that's your known funnel, right? And then your sales reps maybe put stuff in, maybe don't. I don't know, but that's also a known funnel. <laughs> but let's be honest. I mean, only 13% of sales and marketers have a lot of confidence in their CRM and map data. So it's only, I mean, it, and it, it's old, you know, it's kind of static based data. It's, it's only showing us a very small sliver of what is our true funnel. And a lot of times it's too late, right? Because I, if you think about when I typically do fill out a form and come and like hot inbound with you, I've already really decided what I want to do. Right. It's down to one or two. Yeah. It's two levels, two down. Yeah. So the dark funnel is like the parallel universe. It's all the stuff happening that you can't see because it didn't get captured by your marketing automation system, but you know it's happening. Yeah. And it's just a swirling, boring, evil vortex. But there's gold in it. There's gold in there. Right. And that's what Sixth Sense helps companies to do, right? It is. How do you, though, in that model, right, if you're not following a traditional path where I'm out to capture your information, how do you get in the conversation? How do you stay in the conversation so that you are on somebody's consideration set before it's 60% down the decision process. 
Yeah, so it's a good question. So what I think about it as a lot of the things that we already do, we just do a lot of somewhat randomly because we're just throwing it all against the dark funnel. And what happens is a bike pops out and a tire pops out and a fishing rod and then some chunks of gold, right? (laughs) So what I want to do is I want to say, okay, now that I've lit up the dark funnel and I can see the best accounts for me, I'm going to go, I'm, I'm probably still going to use a lot of the same things, but I'm going to be a lot more targeted and like surgical with proactively going after the best accounts at the right time with a message that's relevant because that, that's all the signal that's there, right? So if you're not a great account for me to sell to, and I don't have a lot of case studies about you, you're kind of small, or kind of big or whatever, like I don't want to spend a lot of time. Or if you're a great account for me and I know that you care about sales and marketing alignment, or I know you care about predictive analytics, or you care about your target account list, why would I talk to you about ABM? You don't really care about that. You know, I might bring it up later, but I'm going to hit you with something that I know you're researching. And so that's like, so it's just sort of like being more targeted and more relevant. And so I have these like kind of four rules that I think about for relevance, which is like account fit, you know, and, and have the story, like you should know that they're a good fit for you, but also what, like the why they're a good fit for you, because often that's like important for your messaging that you've gotten proven success or whatever. Right. And then the persona and in B2B, we know this is so, so, so important. You know, if an intern wants a demo, that's cool. I mean, whatever, they can see the recorded demo. I don't know if I need to like have them set up time with my AE that makes $500,000 a year <laughs> to see a demo. You know, Like, I think I should wait until it's, you know, an executive rate. So it's like that profile fit is really important too. Not only not to waste my team's time, but also, again, if you're a head of sales for me, you care about different things a little bit than a head of marketing. So that's the second like rule of relevance. To me, the third rule of relevance is like, what is your behavior? Or like, are, like do you want to binge on content? Do you want to connect in the community? Do you want to talk to analysts? And I can see all that different behavior and help guide you to what is most relevant. And then last is the timing, right? Because we know, and we've always done this as marketers, you know, our favorite thing to do is journey map, right? We love a journey map, right? And then if they're early, this is what they're thinking and feeling. And if they're late, this is what they're thinking and feeling. But like, we've kind of, we kind of just barf it all out there and hope that they like identify themselves as early or late, which is not super realistic. Whereas when you have the timing, then, you know, I can give you the... ROI calculator because I know kind of where you are versus you're just trying to figure out if you have a problem or not. And that's going to be something different. So that's what I love about the approach is like, yes, I do call BS on a lot of the things that that we do, but most of what we do is really, really good and positive. We make persona maps. We want to understand the journey. We want to connect with our audience. The problem is we haven't had great insights and the ability to like orchestrate and connect those insights with the audience. 
And when all of a sudden you have that, then it's like, okay, I don't need a form. I don't have to spam people. And you know what? I don't, I don't want, like the, the rule of no cold calls for me is not that, and not that they don't use the phone. They can use the phone. It's just, is it the right time? And have I warmed that up enough? Like, like it's my job to get accounts and market for sales. I love those rules. Sorry, Spike. I was just going to say, I was just going to say, I love those rules. We, we talk to both B2B and B2C. Well, we should say we serve both B2B and B2C companies and those rules of relevancy apply to whoever you're selling to, whether we had, you know, we've, we've talked to retail companies, we've talked to B2B marketers, like that is, those are applicable because we're talking about people, right? It's your time. It's your inbox. It's your phone. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And like B2C is so good at it with a lot of the algorithms and stuff. And, you know, we can start to get better and learn from that. Right. But the principles are universal. So we typically ask our guests, what's a commonly held belief in your industry that you disagree with? Well, I think we know what the answer is for that for you. So I would like to pivot and actually ask you, you know, when you go down a path to fundamentally change how this thing has been done forever and, you know, still changing the world, probably one customer at a time, what, what was that aha moment? What was that big light bulb that went off or a series of little ones that went off that led you to where you are in this belief system that you have now? So... My last job, I was the CMO at a company called Aperio. And one of the big transformations I, I led there with a bunch of folks was we started out as a cloud deployment partner, right? So you want to move to Salesforce, you know, moving to the cloud was a thing. And then, then it was kind of like, okay, why? Why are people moving to the cloud? <laughs> like, what's the point? You know, and so that was kind of an aha. It's like, what, why are we moving all these people to the cloud other than Dreamforce is cool and Mark Benioff's like the man and we like the concert. So, and then the other thing we did is we did, we moved employees to the cloud. So we moved, we did a lot of work around things like success factors and workday and, you know, cloud kind of employee type systems. And so I, so I, I had an aha there, like it's about experience. Like no one just wants to move to the cloud because they move to the cloud. Moving to the cloud because our customers expect a consumer grade experience from B2B. You know, they, they have way higher expectations and we need this technology. And guess what? Our employees, again, back to work, they don't show up on their phone and then come to work and like want to see green screens, right? Like we have to make it easy for them too. But then we, we did a lot of research on the connection between customer experience and employee experience. And the fact that if you want to deliver these great experiences, your employees like have to have great data, have to have great insights. And so we had these two businesses that we thought were somewhat separate. And we were like, oh my gosh, there's this really cool connection that we, we should just go out and talk about. And so I lived that. I did road shows. I stood up on many a stage. I did a lot of research. So I like in my core, like believe that. Right. And then I got to Sixth Sense. And I think, you know, the scale of the job at Sixth Sense was way different than what I had been at before. There was only one marketer there and me. And it is an AI based intent data orchestration 
in, I mean, embedded CDP. I mean, it's a lot. There's a lot. Like if you if you want to if you want to buzzword off, like I I'm your girl because I'm learning it all now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally, this guy on my team, we created a glossary. We now call it talking nonsense of all these terms because I'm like I have no idea what these people are talking about. <laughs> literally none. <laughs> and. It was kind of, it was not kind of, it was like totally intimidating. And I'm like, what am I doing? I don't, I, like, this is ridiculous. This is, I need to go back. Like, Aperio, take me back. <laughs> <laughs> and, but then I was like, you know what? I got to put my big girl pants on and I got to kind of go back to my beliefs and what I've seen play out over and over and over again. And I'm like, okay, what do I believe in? <laughs> <laughs> You know, many a soul cycle classes. And I'm like, I do believe in customer experience. I do believe that employee experience. I do believe that technology and insights are a catalyst for change. And that's how you're going to compete. And ultimately, that's what I'm doing here. It's just a different medium. And so then I said, well, what, do, what does a typical marketer do? What does a typical seller do? And does it work? Does it deliver a good experience? And then you sort of start to unwind the sweater and you're like, think that we have an opportunity to make a, a pretty significant impact on B2B. Yeah, good Weezer reference. But keeping the experience as in the center and having that, you know, as the most important thing above all else and your North Star, through everything you do, I think it's such an interesting way to look at the world. Yeah, it's it's been, it's working so far. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say so. I'd say so. I actually took a note because I love that. I love the way you said technology and insights were the or can be the catalysts, right, for those experiences, for great customer experience. So when you think about that, technology can enable it, but what's the data that really matters? Is you, when you build your own tech stack, what are the things you really need to know about your customers and your prospects? Oh, there's so much. And that's, the, I mean, that's part of our challenge is, and actually like one of the premise, we just got around a, of, of funding because a big part of what we do is we like break down data silos and then break down execution silos. So, so think about how many third-party vendors there are for data. There's tons. Think about how many sources of like of your own tech stack that are just spinning off data. Your Driftbot spins off data. Your Content Hub spins off data. Your Gain Site spins off like all these little pockets of data, 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 data. And while at the same time, and what we talked about earlier, where's the, where there's tons of data that you just w won't have because it's in on the broader, you know, web. And so a big part of what we do, probably the biggest part and in our, our history is being able to bring in your data from all these different sources, marry it with Call it a data lake. You want to buzzword, you know, good buzzword, right? But, you know, all the data that we bring and then then you have to like make sense of it, right? And so that that's where like tying it all to an account and that, that's why B2B is actually like one of the, our biggest challenges is there's accounts and then there's all these people. And then the people have different roles. And so like, you know, and, and there's subsidiaries. And the accounts have subsidiaries and parents and children. Yeah. And, so yeah. you can, you can see why it gets, it starts to get complex really fast. And so taking that complexity out so that someone like 
Courtney Smith on my team, who is our field mark, you know, field marketing team. And when she wants to see where should I run field marketing program, show me accounts that are, you know, in the retail sector on the West, what city, you know, getting it from the spaghetti to walk up someone like Courtney being able to sit with sales and make good decisions about our field marketing programs and where we're going to run events or our Nicole on our content team to be able to see what, what should we write eBooks about? What, what our, our customers care about and in different segments. Like that's where I think the elegance in the comes in. Yeah. We're really good at collecting data, but knowing what to do. It's like the old Seinfeld. Oh no, I just dated myself. Like the res anyone can take the reservation, but you don't know how to hold the reservation. For sure. And sometimes it's like that with data. It's like, we're really good at figuring out ways to get information, but what do we do? And then we sit around and go, what do we, what do we do with this? And what's the story that it tells for sure? Yeah. Drowning in all the lakes, all the lakes. A lot of lakes. A lot of lakes. <laughs> so many lakes. Confession time. So I love to hear about pe people's triumphs, but I also know that the, the, the hard lessons that, that are dealt us sometimes along that path, they turn into the things that make it so much su more successful the next time because it's better and you've thought through it and, and what happens. So what, what is a hard lesson along this journey that you have learned? Can you share that with us, please? I mean, do you want one from an hour ago or, I mean, it's like all day, every day, but I mean, I think one that like haunts me is like, we had a really high stakes meeting and, you know, the head of sales and I got along amazing. Like we were so aligned, right? No one would have looked at us and said we weren't aligned. <laughs> <laughs> no daylight, no daylight. Yeah. But we had a marketing ops function and we had a sales ops function. And so we get up in this high stakes meeting and, and we're talking through our, our numbers and like nothing was adding up, even though both of our numbers were right. It's just, you know, how you calculate a conversion, how you calculate a win rate, how you calculate. And, and so then, you know, we got into this total rat hole of like how we're calculating it. And, and it just, it was such a disaster. And so, and I think everyone here knows that, that it's just, and like still my CFO will do his own calculations and send stuff out. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> show me your work. <laughs> I can't replicate it. <laughs> right. So. When I came here, our head of sales and I said, we're going to have like one revenue operating model and we're going to have one dude and his team and the way they want to calculate conversion. Cause I don't have a dog in that fight. Like, I don't really care how we want to calculate it. I get that there's pros and cons. I just want to know that I can, I understand it and can trend it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we just came together and we're like, one set when when we talk about a win rate typically this is what it's going to be unless it's footnoted that it's some other one that we want it, but fine but footnote that <laughs> and this sounds so basic but this i sleep much better at night just knowing that like i feel like we have a fundamental understanding of what these things mean and how to react and like sometimes he'll call me and, and he'll be like did you see i'm like oh yeah i saw <laughs> you know, it's like, like we know we know where we're red we always know where we're red and you're always going to be red somewhere and so we don't have to sit there and argue of what's working and what's not working and we can just like get after making stuff happen 
so important to stay aligned. We, we have been in that movie so many times and we do have separate teams, but we built our model together. So we have one pipeline contribution model that we built with marketing ops and sales ops. And we all look at the same page and the same reporting. And it, it doesn't mean there isn't red to your point, but it means we all know what we're talking about when we're looking at the red that we need to go fix. So game changer. All right. We are reaching the end of our show. Thank you for sharing these, these triumphs and lessons learned. We've talked a lot about, about experience and connecting and creating community. And we all believe, I know you share this belief that that's because we're all just people trying to, whether you're a working mom or not, we're all just trying to figure our way to helping our companies do great things. So we want to learn a little bit more about you. We have a little game we like to play, our favorite five questions. So it's confession time. The last five questions. Mine, I'll start. What was your first concert? Steve Miller Band. Oh, he used to live down the street from me. Oh, ho, ho, ho. yeah. Wow. In Dallas. That's awesome. That's a good one. That's a fan. That's a good, that's hard to top. Your first job? Lifeguard. Oh. That was my favorite job ever. If I could go back to being a lifeguard. <laughs> <laughs> well, then maybe we know the answer to this one. But if you, if you, what profession would you attempt? today if you couldn't do the job you're doing now? I really did like lifeguarding, but, but a big part of the lifeguard job was teaching swim lessons. And I loved teaching people how to swim. It was really, really rewarding. That feels like a big metaphor. Yeah. So anything like that, I like, I like teaching people how to do stuff that they don't think they can do. And then seeing that confidence, I'm sure is rewarding for sure. Your favorite app on your phone. Well, I'm hoping it becomes SoulCycle. No. Oh, I know. I got to get back. It's affecting everything. (laughs) 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 Well, speaking of taking a break from exercise, what the, our last question is always, what is your biggest indulgence? Oh, I live a life of indulgence. (laughs) Yeah. So my mother-in-law has this saying, I'm totally changing the subject. I don't know why, but my mother-in-law has the saying this or something better. And so I guess I think of any time, I never think of something as like bad or whatever. I'm like, oh, okay, well, this or something better. And I, I don't know, I'm the, I was the oldest child and I just sort of marched to the beat of my own drum and like <laughs> everything's an indulgence. That's obvious. I love it. Have a dull moment, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Get it. You have earned it. And you have earned our thanks for being our guest on our show. Thank you so much for sharing your story. You are welcome back anytime. We've loved having you. And thanks to everybody who dialed in. We will see you next time on CX Confessions. Your customers expect to be understood. Their likes and dislikes, their history with your brand, and their communication preferences. But so many companies struggle to connect the dots of interaction across their own teams and channels, and it's creating customer experience challenges and disasters. That's where Koros can help. Koros is the award-winning customer engagement platform built to turn those siloed interactions with your customer into enterprise value. Koros works with more than 2,000 of the world's leading brands and powers more than 500 million digital interactions every day. Koros is the award-winning platform for digital-first customer engagement. 
ready to create human connection across the digital customer experience to create customers for life? Learn more at Koros.com. Thanks for listening to CX Confessions, brought to you by Koros. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player and give us a rating. See you next time.